Well, last week we started a series, a doctrine series. We're going to be walking through uh, over the next uh, now nine weeks as we talk through what we believe and why we believe it. Why does it matter that we know what we believe? And the reason it matters is because we live in a world today that is so full of reconnected, recharacterized, and redefined truth. That if we do not know what truth really is, then we will be blown about by every wind of doctrine. The Bible talks about that. The Bible talks about it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 4, that in the last days, that there will be lots of people who are not interested in hearing truth anymore, that they just want to be made to feel good, that they want to hear messages that would encourage them in what they're going through to the point where, hey, everything's great, everything's fine, keep doing what you're doing, and it's all going to work out in the end. The problem is today that we are redefining truth. And so that's why we're walking through this series, so we will know what truth is and what we believe and why we believe it, why we can stand on it, why we can know that the Word of God is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God, that Jesus indeed is the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And that's what we're going to be walking through. Now, last week, Matt opened God's Word for us, and we talked about the doctrine of the Trinity. We talked about God the Father. We talked about God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to talk about God the Son. And man, I, you know, it's kind of interesting because here at Thomas Road, and I pray that in, you know, in every church that claims to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's kind of interesting to say that today we're going to talk about Jesus. Because to be honest with you, every single Sunday we talk about Jesus. In fact, if we ever have a sermon or never have a Sunday where we get up and we talk about a lot of great things and we don't get to Jesus, then we are wasting our time. Because it is Jesus who came to take away the sins of the world. He is the one that came as the Son of God to pay the price that we all needed to give us the opportunity of recognizing salvation in His name. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him. And so every week we talk about Jesus, but today what we want to talk about is like why we believe Jesus is actually a big deal. That why we believe that He is God? Why is it that we hold Him in such reverence? Why do we talk about the deity of Jesus Christ? Because the world, all of the world, recognizes like Jesus as being somebody important. But rarely do they actually get to the place, according to God's Word, of talking about who Jesus really is. And so what I want to do today, I want to start with, as Matt did last week, our doctrinal statement as it relates to who Jesus is. And so it's on our website. We encourage you certainly to, you know, to go and look at our values and our beliefs and, and look at our doctrinal statements so you'll know who it is that we believe Jesus is. And we're just going to put it up on the screen here, and I'll read it to you today, share it with you today so you kind of know what we're going to be talking about and why we're going to be talking about it. And so as a church, we affirm, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity, eternally begotten from the Father, and in this statement, very important, He is God. It's not He's like God. It's not that He points people to God. It's not that He's a great prophet. He is God. Now, we keep reading in our statement. He was conceived by the Virgin Mary through a miracle of the Holy Spirit. He lives forever as perfect God and perfect man, two distinct natures inseparably united in one person. It goes on to say, we affirm that Jesus Christ offered himself as a sacrifice by the appointment of the Father. We continue to read, he fulfilled the demand 
commands of God by his obedient life, his sinless life. He died on the cross in full substitution and payment for the sins of all, was buried, and on the third day, well, a great part of it, we sang about it a moment ago, he arose physically from the dead and ascended into heaven where he now intercedes for all believers. Today, Jesus is praying for you. That's an encouragement. Let's continue to read. We affirm that the return of Christ for all believers is imminent. That's an important word, imminent. Don't forget that one. Go, wait, keep going. Uh, it will be followed by seven years of great tribulation and then the coming of Christ to establish his earthly kingdom for a thousand years. And then we talk about the unsaved and the saved. The unsaved will then be raised and judged according to their works and separated forever from God in hell. The saved, however, having been raised, will live forever in heaven in fellowship with God. That is what we believe about Jesus. That is what we believe, uh, who we believe Jesus is, what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. And so today what we're going to talk about is three aspects of Jesus, the Son of God. But before we talk about those three aspects of Jesus, the Son of God, let's talk about who the world says that Jesus is. You can go into many different religions. In fact, pretty much every religion on the face of the earth, it does give Jesus credit. It talks about Jesus. They, they talk about who He is and what He is. In fact, you look at Islam, and Islam will actually talk about Jesus. In fact, when you read the Quran, Jesus Himself is mentioned 25 times in the Quran. In fact, a reference to Jesus is over 100 times in the Quran. Jesus is mentioned more in the Quran than Muhammad is. They talk about him being a wise teacher. They talk about him uh, being virgin born. They talk about how he's to be honored and revered. But yet, it is someone, while a great prophet, he is not God. He did not rise again, and he is not the Messiah. You look in Judaism. Judaism doesn't dispute the fact that Jesus lived. They believe that he indeed, he was Mary's child, but yet he wasn't virgin born. They believe that he was a respected rabbi, that he had supernatural powers, that was able to work miracles. They believe that he was a great teacher, someone to actually listen to, a great rabbi, but yet they do not believe he was the Messiah, and they do believe he was crucified, but then again that he was not, uh, that he did not resurrect from the dead, that he did not, was not raised from the dead. Hinduism believes that Jesus was a great man and a teacher, and they believe that he was a God, because they worship many different gods. You look at Buddhism, they don't really have much to say about Jesus other than the fact that he was an enlightened teacher, somebody that was a decent person, somebody we can learn from. You look at Jehovah's Witness, they would say that Jesus is important. In fact, he was the very first creation from God, which then calls into question everything we talked about last week in the Trinity, that Jesus is God. You look at universal, Unitarian Universalism. They would believe that he was a great teacher and a picture of, an example of, a representation of God's great love, but certainly not the Son of God. But then you walk outside of religions, and you look at people, historical context, people who were not in religious people at all writing, and you look back even to 55 AD when, uh, when Thelos wrote the, a great article, a great statement, a great uh, document about Jesus and, and kind of lining up with who Jesus is and what Jesus did according to the Gospels. You fast forward to uh, 93, 94 AD, and Josephus, that great Jewish historian, not a believer, but yet he wrote about Jesus and talking about what Jesus did talked about his actions, talked about his words, talked about his crucifixion, talked about what Pontius Pilate did in that time. 
Fast forward again to 116 AD, and that Roman historian, uh, Tacitus, actually wrote about Jesus. And he wrote about Jesus from the context that, yes, he was born, and yes, he lived, and yes, he did a lot of things that people believe in, and yes, he was crucified, but he comes at it from a perspective of a, a derogatory term that Jesus was uh, crazy, that he was a bad person, that he had no reason at all to be worshipped, certainly was not God or the Son of God. And so you recognize somebody who is outside of the faith, not believing in Jesus at all, and yet he verifies the fact that Jesus was born just a few years after Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And so you can see that regardless of from what context you look at it, regardless of what perspective, whether a religious perspective, whether historical context, no one disputes the fact that Jesus lived. No one disputes the fact that Jesus was a great example. No one disputes the fact that he was a great leader and a great teacher and someone to model our lives after, someone that we can learn from. No one disputes that fact, but they do dispute the fact that he is God, a very God. And that's what sets us apart from all of those other statements. Today we recognize that Jesus is indeed God. And so, three different perspectives looking at Jesus, the Son of God. And we're going to look at the Son of the past, the Son of the present, and the Son of the eternal. Go to Colossians chapter 1 as we talk about the Son of the past. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15, it says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. In other words, the statement here is that Jesus had no start, that he has always been, that there was not a moment, as some would say, where he was created by God, that he is God. When you go back to, you know, the scriptures, it talks about how he's always been there in very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 that Matt talked about last week. But it goes beyond that even. There was never a moment when there was a beginning of God. There was never a moment when there was a beginning of Jesus. Now, our minds can't comprehend that because everything in our minds had a beginning. There was a beginning when we were born. There was a beginning when we started school. There was a beginning when we graduated from college. There was a beginning when we started working. There was a beginning when we got married. There was a beginning when we had children. There's always beginnings in our journey. But with Jesus, there has never been a beginning because He has always been. And so we go back to our doctrinal statement that just simply says this, we affirm that the Lord Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity, eternally begotten from the Father. And again, this statement, He is God. That is what sets us apart from all the religions of the world. That is what sets us apart from the historical context that Jesus was just a great teacher and a great leader and a great example. We believe according to God's Word that Jesus is God. That he is the one, that the second person of the Trinity, that God used as the opportunity of redemption for all of mankind. And we have to understand that that is the work of the son of the past, that going all the way back before ever, anything ever began in Genesis, Jesus has always been. And you get into the Word of God, and you go to Genesis chapter 1, the statement that we read last week, let us create man in our image. Jesus was in that moment, that passage that we just read, that He, uh, everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, Jesus Himself refers to Himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
that everything consists because of Jesus. You go to John chapter 1, verse 3, and it tells us all things were created through Him and apart from Him, not one thing that was created that has been created. Not one thing that has ever been created was created apart from Jesus Christ. Now listen, the world would say, and the religions would say, like, God is important. We got to honor God. And Jesus was a great teacher. Let me just tell you something. Yes, God is a great God. And yes, God the Father is someone that we need to make sure we honor. But Jesus is God, just the second man of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity. And we must recognize that everything that there is, is here because of Jesus. And so we recognize and understand the son of the past, the work that goes back into eternity past that Jesus has always been a part. But then we move into the context of the biblical narrative, the biblical time and creation, and we talk about the son of the present, the son of the present. Keep reading in Colossians chapter 1 verses uh, 17. It said, he is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Now, this statement very clearly tells us that he's before all things, and by him, everything is held together. Now, we talked about a moment ago from Genesis chapter 1, when creation happened, that Jesus was there, that everything that is created was created through him and by him. And so now we talk about the work of of Christ in the present. Like, what is it today that Jesus is doing? What is his job and his responsibility? Well, we look into Scripture and we recognize and understand that Jesus is absolutely a very present work, not only going back to Genesis chapter 1, but all the way through even today, Jesus is still doing what Jesus has always done. Now, you go back into the Old Testament, you remember last week, right, that Matt put that word up there, theology, remember that? Theos, God, Uh, when you go to the second part, logos, or word, or study. Well, I want to give you a word today, I want to kind of show you, you know, maybe I might be a little bit almost as smart as Matt. I'm going to give you this statement here, and so this is the word theophanies. And so this is the word theos, God, Matt talked about that last week, but different here is phano, which is the word appear. Now, theophanies are an appearance in the Old Testament, an appearance, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of God in the Old Testament. Now, there's also a a companion word, Christophany, which is the same thing, phano, appear, and Christo, of course, which is Christ, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And there are over 500 references, appearances of Christ in the Old Testament before He was even born in uh, in the New Testament. And so you look in scriptures and you recognize that this pre-Bethlehem appearance of Christ, that they were so powerful. In fact, you go back in the book of Genesis and you see that he appeared to Hagar, Hagar, Abraham's uh, Egyptian wife. He appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 and Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. He appeared to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, Genesis 32. He appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 23 and chapter 33. And Jesus appeared to uh, Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, to Samson's parents in Judges chapter 13, to the three young Hebrew children in the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3. Remember when they were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? 
were thrown into the fiery furnace for not bowing down to uh, the idol that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had made, that they threw them in the fiery furnace. And you remember that it was so hot that those who threw them in got burned and consumed, right? And then they looked in a few moments later, and what happened? They looked in and they recognized that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are walking around in there, but it was not just the three of them, but there was four of them. And the fourth, in Nebuchadnezzar's own words, looked as if it was the Son of God. Jesus was in the fiery furnace. What a great lesson for all of us, no matter what we're going through, that Jesus' work, His job, His responsibility is to be present in that moment. You continue reading in the Old Testament, you find that He appeared uh, to Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 10. And again, over 500 times, there's a reference to an appearance of a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. And so you recognize that the Son of the present, that Jesus is actually working today that He is doing work in our lives today. And we go back to our doctrinal statement, it talks about His present work, and it tells us this, that we affirm that Jesus Christ offered Himself as a sacrifice by appointment of the Father. It goes on to say that we, uh, He fulfilled the demands of God by His obedient life. He died on the cross in full substitution and payment for the sins of all, was buried, and on the third day He arose physically from the dead and ascended into heaven where He now intercedes for all believers. That today He is praying for each and every one of us. The present work of Jesus Christ is that He is on your side that He has done a great work in the gift that He gave on the cross when He died and when He was buried and when He rose again. And by fulfilling that responsibility and that job, that work that He had to do 2,000 years ago, that His work continues even still today. Jesus had a job description when He came to this earth. And while that job was something that He did 2,000 years ago, the job description has not ended. He is still working here today. In fact, when you look at that job description, and by the way, I think all of us, how many of you have ever had a job? Just raise your hand if you had a job. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you have like retired from a job? You don't have a job anymore. Like, okay, so regardless of whether you, you know, have a job now or whether you had a job and are now retired, you know that when you started that job that you were told this is what you're responsible for. This is your job. This is your job description. This is how we're going to evaluate you to make sure that you're doing exactly according to what you're supposed to do, that you're fulfilling the responsibility. Well, Jesus had a job description. We just read part of it. He came to provide that redemption that we all needed. He died on the cross, was buried, and He rose again. But His job description did not stop there. In fact, when you go into the Scriptures, it tells us that He actually had other things to do. And so He came as that baby, virgin birth, uh, incarnation, which means literally that God put on flesh. That's what the incarnation of Christ is all about. That today He he came to fulfill that picture of the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul said, I declare to you the gospel that which I also received, I give to you. And he said this, that Jesus died on the cross according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's part of His job description. That's part of what Jesus did. And He did that so that we could have a relationship with Him. Last week, I got a phone call from my uncle, Eugene Ferris. Uh, He's 90 years old. And Eugene called me, 91 years old. He called me, and uh, he said, do you know what today is? This was on January 20th. 
And I'm sitting there in my mind, like kind of process, like what today is, like was it January 20th? Yes. You know, trying to th- and he said, listen, it was 70 years ago today at 9.02 p.m. at the Park Avenue Baptist Church where that night where your dad got up from the pew in that church and he walked down to the altar and he got saved. Eugene was there that night. Eugene shared that story. He told me again. He's told me many times in my life, like that story of the night that Jesus got saved. And he told me all about that story. And of course, we know the picture that when my dad got saved 70 years ago, when he came to Christ, and then from that point forward, when uh, he was, when uh, my dad got saved, that that night and going forward, like you look at what God did through and in him, the power that God allowed him to have uh, in that, that, uh, in that life that was spent loving and walking and serving Christ. And Eugene shared that whole story with me. And it was just really cool to hear that story again. That's part of the present work of Jesus Christ, of what Christ is doing. But let's kind of walk back through and look at what the Scripture says in verse 17, that He holds it all together. What is His job description? Well, let's go. Number one, He is our forerunner. His job is to be our forerunner. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about that He is the one that is the forerunner, that He's the one that has actually given us the opportunity to experience the power of the gospel. We go on the second element. He's there to prepare a place for us. In John chapter 14, remember that passage where it says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus' job is to prepare a place for you for eternity. His third part of his job description is to give spiritual gifts to his followers. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about how that he calls pastors and teachers and, and prophets, and he gives all of us gifts to go out and actually do what it is that God has called us to do. The fourth one is to offer encouragement to his followers. He understands what we're going through, no matter how difficult the day might seem, no matter how bad it might be, that he is the one to help us. He knows all of our challenges. He knows all of our heartbreaks. He offers encouragement to all of his followers. The next one, that he makes high priestly prayers for us. Romans chapter 8 tells us he is ever making intercession for us, sitting at the right hand of the Father. I don't know about you, but I love it when people say, I'm praying for you. I love it more when Jesus said he's praying for me. You keep reading in the description, job description here, to send the promise of the Father in John chapter 16 and Acts chapter 1, that his job is to send the promise that God would have, that God would send along the one who would come alongside to comfort us and to encourage us. You keep reading his job description, care for his churches, Revelation chapter 1 through chapter 3, that his responsibility is to care for the church, his body, the body of Christ. Now, we know that we talk about this building we sit in here today. Man, it's a beautiful building. And I remember back in 2005 and 2004 when we were building this brand new church building. And I remember watching my dad, and every day he would drive by this property to make sure that all of the construction teams were doing everything they needed to do to get this building ready for our opening day. And I mean, he was like talking about it all the time. He's focused on it all the time. In fact, I remember there were times before all the walls were up and all the doors were in that he came by one day to check on it, and he didn't want to get out of the car. It must have been cold like it is outside today. And so he drove his car right through those doors into this building to check and make sure the people were actually doing what they were supposed to do. Like he was wanting to make sure this place was getting built. Understand this. That was the building of a building. That was not the building of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, Matthew chapter 16. We built a building, but Jesus' job is to build the church and to care for the church. A next element of his job description 
is to work through his people. In John chapter 14, he encourages us, he calls us, he leads us, and he guides us to go out and to preach and to teach and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world. We understand that also a part of his job description is that he is waiting until his enemies become his footstool. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about that. Now, how cool is it that Jesus is sitting today at the right hand of the Father, and He is waiting for the opportunity to come back and to take all of the evil of this world, the enemies of this world, and Satan himself, and to defeat them, and then make them His footstool. Now, understand this. Today, Jesus is not sitting in heaven waiting kind of in this halftime of a game, like coming and strategizing and coming up with a team, meeting with the coach to kind of figure out what they were going to do to come back and to defeat Satan and the evil when they come back. No. They know they're going to win. They know it has already been written. They know the rest of the story. Jesus has already defeated the enemy, and today He is sitting there just casually sitting back, waiting until that moment that the Father says, go, and to that moment and that instant, the devil is defeated and Jesus is king. How cool is that, that that is the present work of Jesus Christ? And so we understand the son of the past, the son of the present, but also the third element of the son of God, Jesus Christ, the son of the eternal. Now, you'll notice I didn't say the son of the future. The reason I didn't use the word future is because even the future has an ending. I use the statement, the son of the eternal. Go back to Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. When you read that passage, this statement right here, by making peace, that is the work of Jesus Christ that sets up the work of Jesus Christ the Son for eternity. By making peace, by making everything right. By taking two opposing sizes, a holy sides, a holy God who cannot be in the presence of evil or sin, and all of us who are sinful in our very nature, that we've fallen and sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus came to take these two opposing sides and to rip the veil that separates us and to bring us together. That is what Jesus has done to make peace. And he did so through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's the work of Jesus Christ. Now, so the Son of the Eternal, let's go back to our doctrinal statement. It says this, we affirm that the return of Christ for all believers is imminent. Instant, it can happen today, it can happen tomorrow, it can happen a year from now, 10 years from now, 100 years from now. We do not know, but it is indeed imminent. And it's important to understand that statement, imminent, because that gives us the urgency of our faith and our walk with Christ today. So, our doctrinal statement, we affirm that its return is imminent. It goes on to say, it will be followed by seven years of great tribulation, and then the coming of Christ to establish His earthly kingdom for a thousand years. That gets into the end times, the doctrine of the end times, which we're going to get to in a few weeks. So, I'm not going to spend some time hitting on that today, but it does set up the job of Jesus Christ, the Son, the Eternal Son. We keep reading here. It goes on to say, the unsaved will then be raised and judged according to their works and separated forever from God in hell. very real place called hell. We'll get to that doctrine also a little bit later. The saved, however, the saved having been raised will live forever in a very real place called heaven in fellowship with God. 
And so the job of the Son of God, the job of the Son of the Eternal, is that one day there's going to be a rapture. The Scriptures very clearly talks about it in John chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where one day the trumpet will sound, and the clouds will be rolled back, and Jesus will gather together His church, this church, our church, the church of Jesus Christ around the globe, and we will be raptured up into the presence of God. And that will set into motion the seven years of the tribulation. And that period, again, we'll get to that in a few weeks, but then after that seven years will be the second coming of Christ. You go into scriptures, it talks about it in Jude chapter 14, it talks about it in Matthew chapter 16 and 26 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. That second coming of Christ is where Jesus will come back and make His enemies His footstool. That's when the battle of Armageddon will take place. That's when all of that will take place. And then following that, then He will come back and He will be in heaven, that He will set down in Jerusalem in the holy city there, and there He will set up His thousand-year reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ. I was talking with Jonathan Jr. this week, and he was talking about Abraham going all the way back into Genesis, and talking about Abraham when he was having that battle with Lot, or battle with the, the people who had taken Lot, and he was trying to rescue his, his nephew, and he went through and he won that. And then it says that he went to the high priest of Salem to Melchizedek and made an offering to him, and had a time of worship there with Melchizedek. And then in that picture, in that moment, in that time, that we understand that Salem was actually what would then become Jerusalem. It would become that place that one day would be the holy city. And so we were talking a little bit about that and what that all looked like. And isn't it interesting, again, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, this picture of what is to come, coming to the holy city and doing what is right, bringing our our offerings and bringing our lives to that place. Why? Because one day there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. And then after that, eternity. You see, we recognize and understand that the work of Jesus Christ is something for which there will be no end. And that's who Jesus is. Now, remember how we started today and we talked about all of the other religions of what they say about Jesus? You know, they talk about great teacher and great prophet. They talk about, you know, great example and great moral leader. Some would even say that, yes, he was a miracle worker. They would say, oh, yes, he did supernatural things. But they all deny his deity. They all deny that he is God. They say great things about Jesus, but they deny who he is. And so today I want to end with a great quote that I found this week from C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity, about that very thing, about declaring, oh yes, I believe in Jesus. Oh yes, he's a great teacher. He's a great leader, a great person, a great example. But listen to what C.S. Lewis had to say. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That statement is, I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. C.S. Lewis goes on to write, that is the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. 
The world might say Jesus was a great person, a great historical figure, a great leader, and a great teacher. But God's Word says that one day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so in our understanding and expectation of who Jesus, the Son of the past, the Son of the present, and the Son of the eternal is, then we today should not wait for that moment when every knee will bow. Today what we should do is declare in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives and in our actions, that Jesus was not just a great teacher, He is King. That is what our declaration should be. Jesus is the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Have you let Him do so in your life? The Bible is clear that Romans chapter 10 tells us that if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died and that He rose again, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's not a maybe, that's not a might be, it's not a hope to, it's an absolute, a promise from God. They will be saved. And so today, man, the invitation is clear. It's given every week here, and it will be given every week until the time that Jesus returns. Do you know Jesus? the way, the truth, and the life? Do you know Him as your Savior? Do you know that you're a sinner who desperately needs a Savior? Do you know that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sins? Do you know that He was buried and that He rose again three days later? Do you know that by believing in Him that you will be made right with God, making peace between you and God? Do you know, and if not, then today the prayer of your heart ought to simply be this, God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I need a Savior. God, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died and that he rose again. And so today, Father, forgive me of my sins. Save me today through your son, Jesus, and help me to live for you for the rest of my life as you give me the power to do it. Thank you, God, for saving me. That should be your prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift that we have, the opportunity we've been given to come into fellowship with you. Father, I pray that today for every person gathered here watching or listening, Lord, I pray that if there's someone watching, listening, or here that has never accepted you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day they say, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's your son. I believe that he died and that he rose again. I believe that he's the only one that can save me. Save me today through your son. God, I pray that would be the cry of their heart. And God, for that, we'll give you the praise. In a moment, we're going to stand. Our altar, as it always is, is going to be open. Our team is gathering here at the front. And we're going to stand together. And as Scott leads us in a moment, I just encourage you, if you don't know for sure, if you are don't absolutely certain that Jesus is Lord of your life, man, come down here in a moment. Talk with one of our team members. We'd love to talk with you, to pray with you, to share with you about who Jesus is. If you're watching right now and you've never made that decision, You can't walk this altar, but you can do the exact same thing. You can pray that prayer today, believing that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again for you. Call on his name to be saved. You can reach out to us if you'd like. Understand, this is the most important question you will ever ask, you ever be asked. And I pray that today the answer that you give will be the right one. If someone says, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Let's stand together. Let's sing. The altar is open. I encourage you to respond right now. Jesus Messiah, the name above all names.
today we thank you for who Jesus is, for what he has done, for what he is doing, and for what he is yet to do. God, we pray that as we leave this place, that we will walk out of here with an understanding and an awareness that Jesus is not just a great teacher. He is the Son of God. And that we will walk out of here with a passion, a Romans 1, 16 passion, that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. God, help us to go tell people about Jesus. And Lord, for that, we will give you the praise of the work that you're going to do in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our team will remain here. The altar remains open. We encourage you to come down. I did pack in a 75-minute sermon in about 34, but regardless, God bless you. Do not forget, forget, Jesus is Lord. God bless you and have a great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.